Second Bananas is recorded on unceded Indigenous land belonging to the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Unceded means that this land was never surrendered, relinquished, or handed over in any way. We support the various strategies that Indigenous peoples use to protect their land and their communities, and we commit to working in solidarity with them. We acknowledge that as people living and working on these lands, we are accountable to those who have cared for this land since time immemorial. It is our intention to continue learning how to honour this responsibility. father's foreskin uh, yes. grew shut and she had attention. to go to the hospital with him when they cut it back grew open. shut yeah how does that happen when you get really old apparently your foreskin can grow shut because you're like not peeing and you like i think just because you're no old. traffic yeah. you're just like no dried traffic, husk yeah. of a person yeah and so and wow. he's like and he's so not only is he only speaks russian um he doesn't have good hearing so she has to yell so she's doing this as a bit <laughs> yeah so she's like the whole time she's like didushka <laughs> and then she'll like scream like so she'll tell them what the what the like what they say in English and then she'll tell she'll say it in Russian in the way she'd said it to her grandmother. <laughs> it's a very funny bit. If you just yeah. uh type this is not funny. happening, Sophia. What's her fucking name? I can't remember. It's a really fucking good. Anyway, it's like a, a really good This is not happening is a really great um YouTube uh series where it's like a it's like comics telling awful stories that happened to them. Dave Ross does a great one about being high and running into like when he was like 20 and running into a cop. Um, yeah, there's a, but there's Sophia a Alexandra. So, Sophia Alexandra. Yeah. And it's very funny. All those, uh, most of those are extremely funny. Rory Scovell has one about shitting his pants at age 12, <laughs> like that kind of stuff. They're really good. I, I like it when comics do those kinds of stories. Oh, for sure. So, yeah. They're like an in-depth, like, like 10, 15 minute stories. It looks like. Yeah, feel, it feels like a comic would be particularly well suited to oh big time tell a funny, embarrassing, yeah. reflective story from mm -hmm. their youth. Yeah, <laughs> they're all extreme. I think there's so many episodes. Like I think there's like six or seven seasons now. It's like one of my oh. favorite YouTube channels. I spent most yeah. of Harmon Quest watching those YouTube videos because <laughs> we would just be waiting for assets from Starburns. Cut this out of the podcast. Um, I don't want Starburns pissed at me. <laughs> okay, yeah, we don't. I mean, I don't care that much. They're probably not actually. No, they're no, pro they'd probably just be like, yeah, you're right. No, we got um, to keep you in Starburns. 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 Starburns audio. Starburns, good book, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, Suicide Buddies is on Starburns. Uh, is it? Good podcast, yeah. Yeah, no. I, I think th it's I'm... on, it used to be on another network, but now it's on Starburns. Oh, okay, I'll check it out. I don't think I've heard any of the Starburns podcast. Uh, Starburns, Starburns has some good ones. Yeah, we'll check we'll them out, check man. Out. We'll check mostly, them out. Mostly Suicide Buddies. That's my favorite. But mm -hmm. cool. So um, here we are. Yeah, it's our ninth episode, our final Revolver episode. It's good. It's and been good. Uh, it's been a long uh, ride. It's been a crazy wild ride, and we appreciate you, six patrons, you guys listening to our podcast. Two of which are on the network. You guys are carrying us. <laughs> nice. But actually, uh, Jesse Boros, friend of the show and co-host of yeah. DMs of Vancouver, has friend regularly texted me with compliments about the episodes the day they come out. So wow. thanks, Jesse. Excellent. We really appreciate thanks that. Thanks a lot, yeah, Jesse. Nice one, Jesse. I appreciate Very encouraging. it. Um, and yeah, but uh, I'll let Craig take it from here. Yeah, thank you. So I'm Craig. I'm going to lead this episode. Hi, Craig. Ooh. And 
once again, this is Second Bananas. I'm here with my co-hosts. Hey, I'm Wes. And I'm Joe. Yeah, so Second Bananas, the premise is to explore an underexplored or appreciated person from history or just from existence and uh, kind of compare and contrast them with their top banana, the person who they've kind of spent a lot of time in the shadow of. Yeah. Um, and that's what we do here. It's what we do. Today, like to call it. we're going to be taking a look at uh, somebody who contributed to the establishment of the city of Seattle, a woman by the name of Lou Graham. Lou Graham. I meant when you first mentioned this, and I was saving this to Joe, I thought it was a, a blues artist, but that is not who we're talking about. I, Lou Graham. I mean, I, I just, it makes me think of a televangelist. Like this. I, think I think because of Billy Graham, but yeah. A little bit. And when you type Lou Graham into Wikipedia, the first result you get is Lou Graham, the American golfer. Right. Who <laughs> doesn't sound guy. like they would be as as uh, notable as the Lou Graham we're going to talk about not. today. No. Definitely not. <laughs> golf yeah. is definitely not as <laughs> badass as, um, I don't know. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> Prostitution. No, no, not by a long shot. Um. Yeah, so I wanted to get into the story of this woman. I felt she was pretty notable. I don't have a bona fide top banana to frame her with in this episode. However, there's kind of a big glob of white settlers at that time we who kind of represent like, the founders of We're not the stuck city. to okay. someone necessarily having one person who totally. shadows them. Like even like... Rosalind right. Franklin was sort of like, there was like three or four other guys that got the credit. Yeah. And yeah, Watson was sort of like the yeah. heel because he was the shittiest one. Yeah, exactly. But it's sort of more like she was just not appreciated in mm -hmm. her time. And mm -hmm. it took a long time for her to even get the word out, you know? Right. Yeah, definitely. It's like, I'm cool. And people were like, no, you're not. You're a woman. Right. <laughs> That's not cool. So we'll say the not founders. Cool. We'll say the founders of Seattle. Like, the well, founders. The... the, the the, like the, the official establishment, the officially of the, kind of um, I don't want to say celebrated, but recognized founders yeah. of Seattle. The okay. Jews of Seattle, obviously, <laughs> control the world. And um, and you know she not, does fall amongst them, mm. but she is not by no means as celebrated, and that is a systemic factor, and we'll get into that mm -hmm. certainly. But without further ado, uh, yeah, Seattle, Seattle. Queen yeah. City. Gateway to the North, oh. the Emerald City, Jet City. I've heard that, yeah. Rain City. No, no, Wait, Vancouver Jet? is Rain City. Come on. They well, copied that from stealing our shit. Let's, let's fight yeah. it out. Yeah. Coffee capital of the world. Okay, yeah. Question we'll get, mark? We'll you have a question <laughs> mark here? I'll, I'll, I there, mean, it seems ridiculous that, that some place that you import coffee into yeah. and then roast it and then market <laughs> yeah. it and sell it becomes the coffee capital yeah, of the like, world. But like, uh, this is the world we live in. Yeah. And, yeah, that's Starbucks. Yeah. Just like South America and Africa are just like, guys... What the fuck? Yeah, totally. <laughs> there, that's like saying like McDonald's is wait, no, no. I yeah, got, McDonald's I is like the potato capital of the world. <laughs> kind of something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So the the city was named after Chief Seattle or Seattle, uh, Suquamish and Southern Coast Salish peoples and Duwamish leader, who influenced himself, the settlement and founding of the city in several ways. Whoa. Now, um, the city itself was established a couple of times before it 
took <laughs> it was reversed somehow <laughs> it just didn't take and then um and then reestablished 15 years later but finally officially founded the first um, time the guy's right, parents were just like dude what are you doing come on like come home stay here for a while save some money go back to school you don't <laughs> give up this city business and just become a doctor yeah it's not for everyone you know the yeah. big the big city dreams not for everyone yeah, you can you can yeah. it's okay but he was like no fuck you mom and dad so the city was founded officially in 1869 um, and didn't 69. have to be refounded after that, <laughs> though indigenous populations lived in the area for thousands of years before then, and they continue to. Uh, there are uh, significant reserve areas in and around Seattle and, of course, across Washington State. Uh, the city itself has ridden wave after wave of economic boom and bust, pegged to initially natural resource extraction driven bubbles as you could probably imagine there was a lot of lumber a lot of lumber was moving around eventually getting milled there was a gold rush uh, there were a number of gold rushes wow. actually but there were a couple notable ones in california and then in alaska mm. that were huge draws to right, yeah. the west coast yeah, in like general in seattle is sort of like what like i mean i guess more like Oregon and then further south. Um, but like Seattle was like the last sort of Wild West frontier. Uh, yeah, that's what I, it was. I feel, at, at least uh, from this story, that it did seem like, you know, before the big fire, they, <clears throat> they had all the, the wood, like everything was still wood. Yeah. Very like saloony, I, I feel, vibe to it. Oh, when, for sure. When a lot of other cities were starting to erect like concrete buildings. Absolutely. And it does get. Um, even in the kind of throes of its growing into an actual city, away from that kind of frontier town vibe, it gets dragged back into some of that um, lawlessness uh, at different points because uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of back and forth in terms of Seattle political... Seattle is that bitch. <laughs> yeah, in terms of political will and um, and different stakeholders, I guess becoming a part of the city and then being able to chime in and, you know, vote or, uh, or try and sway which way different city policies are going. Mm -hmm. Um, but in any case, the, um, yeah, the, the entire idea of Seattle as a city has basically ridden, um, the, the tide, mm -hmm. <laughs> the tidal waves of, uh, of resource booms cool and, city, and busts. Very cool, yeah. And it's really interesting in, in researching Lou Graham and some of the founders um, and Seattle itself, noting how little actual planning was put into a lot of how Seattle was built yeah, right. and how much it was just geared towards capitalism, yeah. uh, geared oh. towards doing business. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit more certainly, but it's an interesting case study of you know the difference between intentional planning and like design yeah. of a city as a functioning right, user right. centered space versus a place that is there and we want to try and make as much money off of it as yeah. quickly as possible <laughs> which um subsequent architects um you know kind of civic architects in in places like seattle n noted how haphazard <laughs> everything had been built before them when they're trying it's to kind just of, like fucking right. europe what the fuck yeah. come in and implement some sort of coherent uh city plan and they're like w who made this yeah. <laughs> what, uh, what were they thinking interestingly uh, that was the same i heard a similar thing about dublin actually right um 
that especially like in the late the late the when it was sort of developed uh, in the late eighteen hundreds, um, it was a very much like, oh, you want to build a building here? You have the money? Okay, done, done. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, yeah. That sounds very very similar to the situation in Seattle for the first probably half century, I would say. <clears throat> um, so in any case, the city is riding these these boom and bust waves. What, uh, why don't you tell us some of these waves, Craig? We got lumber. We got fishing. What? Lumber, fishing, we, gold. We got gold. Those are big industries. Uh, those bring gambling, prostitution, merrymaking. I love merrymaking. <laughs> yeah. That's um, my jam. Which reads alcohol. Huh. Uh, leading away to more contemporary booms driven by the manufacture of warplanes. Warplanes. Oh. Uh, personal computers. Personal computers. Uh, introspective post-punk indie rock. Introspective post-punk yeah. indie rock. Wait, what's... Who's the big? Um, so just the whole like alternative like grunge movement, oh, right, the whole sub pop thing, yeah. the whole Soundgarden, like Alice in Chains. I don't know if Alice in Chains are actually from Seattle, but but the they're whole, part of that. They're that whole milieu. You got your Nirvanas, was... you got your Pearl Jams, you got your Soundgardens. Yeah, you got your Alice in Chains. They you are got from your, Seattle. You got your occasional you got your mud honeys and your screaming trees. And yeah. the whole the whole sub pop movement. Even Ray Charles and, and Quincy no. Jones. Oh wow! Well, they nurtured their careers there. They're not. Can't help but notice you guys didn't mention uh, Slater Kinney or Oh, I love Slater Kinney. Kill. I do not know them. You don't know Bikini Kill. I don't. We. What's what's is there a song that I would know? Rebel Girl. Hmm. Anyway, well, we're getting off topic. I'll check them out. So the most recent, in my assessment, the most recent iteration of this bubble, uh, this economic bubble. Uh, wave riding that Seattle's doing. Alice in Chains is from Seattle. I nice. said that, Joe. Did you? <laughs> I missed it because okay. I was getting mad about you not liking the <laughs> Sorry, Craig, continue. That's okay. So more recently, uh, the bubble that I feel Seattle is riding a little bit of the wave of is um, is Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, they're which riding is, that wave hard. Uh, which was founded just outside of Seattle and which owns way too much property in seattle for a lot of people's yeah shout um, out to uh shama sawant um the 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 socialist socialist on the the city council uh, counselor yeah yeah yeah. uh, amazon basically threw billions of dollars behind uh a, a more palatable uh uh progressive but but business friendly candidate and shama sawant like beat him by like three percent of the vote or well something done. like that well done. so despite the fact that yeah like people spent like amazon spent millions of dollars on these candidates love it yeah she's also and she has ties to gene swanson here in vancouver yeah. actually yeah so. and gene swanson is awesome yeah right so what I'm trying to demonstrate here, I guess, is that it's... Gene Swanson, come on the podcast. ...seems to be bubble after bubble, but yes. this isn't exceptional for North America, well, especially for American cities. Western and cities. is pretty typical of yeah. what is, <clears throat> at that time, a quote-unquote frontier yeah. town. Right. So, um, yeah, as, as with much of our world today, Seattle was built upon <clears throat> the outcomes of the social, political... And certainly the economic ebbs and flows of its past, just as the future of, uh, of that city, as, as with any city, is being shaped by the influences at play in the present. Um, in the case of Seattle, a woman at the center of some of its growing pains as a young city is our second banana today, 
Madame Lou Graham. And Madame refers to her title as a distinguished lady woman, right? And uh, she, em- does, she doesn't engage in any unsavory and an em- behavior at and all. And an employer of uh, brothel workers. Ow. Yay, brothel Woo-hoo. workers. Dorothea Georgine Emile Oben was born Oben. in Germany in 1857 and came to Seattle. Great time to be born in Germany. <laughs> really great time. Totally. <laughs> I mean. And came to Seattle in 1888, making her around 31 years old when she arrived from the Barbary Coast, San Francisco. Very little is known so, about her life before that. What is the Barbary Coast? I'm glad you asked, Joe. Um, but I'm not going to tell you until <laughs> until we introduce uh, one of our top bananas, well, who I'm going to frame this see, episode around. See, that's the thing. Around. Tease. You don't, maybe I did that on purpose. You don't know. You might have. You I didn't read tease. ahead in your outline, so. That's no, okay. I didn't do it on purpose. So the Barbary like Coast, a really quick top line, is an entertainment district in San Francisco at the time. Where all the okay. barbers go. <laughs> Definitely. And, um, yeah, so she came to America at some point and set up in San Francisco. She then at, um, at around 1888 decided to move to Seattle. And while not much is known. I don't don't like what's going on in this Germany place. It's getting pretty hairy here. Dicey. Better, uh, better get out. Or San Fran. Yeah. Or I guess I should. Oh, oh, it's getting hairy in this Germany thing. So, so she, did she have a German accent? <laughs> she may have. Oh, oh, du lieber. Thick. She <laughs> goes by Lou Graham as an adult in North America. And she was known as a highly successful business owner, investor, financier. Is there like a good story behind that name? I don't know of it, if oh. there is. I think yeah. it was probably just um, maybe it was pretty gender neutral well yeah oh. i'm wondering because like <laughs> she, she, like she went with lou right away as if like she maybe on paper wanted to seem ambiguous oh, for sure or... like a yes yeah and this ties into kind of what she gets up to when she's in seattle as well yeah um she just like got off the boat uh, from germany lou gray uh-huh. was like what am i eating just holds up a box of graham crackers <laughs> And then she hears some kids singing, Lou, Lou, skip to my Lou. She's like, America. I will be known as Lou Craham. Excuse me, Perfect. what? Lou Craham. Lou Craham? No, no. Lou Craham. Oh, Graham. okay. Graham. Graham. The and grayest the, of hands. And the rest is history. <laughs> um, so she was a financier, philanthropist, and cornerstone of the young and often chaotic seattle of the day she was known in seattle as queen of the lava beds wow that's That's like some interesting title to get queen of the lava yeah that does sound like a warcraft takes a little bit of unpacking that uh that nickname but the lava beds were basically the tidal flats at the bottom of all of the hills in seattle on the shoreline okay that currently is belltown um, Pioneer Square and where the stadiums are and all Those that. Those are places. Area. I've I've never been there, but they're places. <laughs> Why lava? Well, the I assume the rock was volcanic. I don't know. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean maybe all... maybe it has to do with the kind of shifting nature of the 
topography down there. Like it wasn't a stable oh, place okay. to actually have <laughs> buildings right, and stuff. Right. But they tried to build a city on planks, more or less, down there. Um, oh, okay. More or less inviting disaster. Oh no! So my guess uh, is, and I mean this is just I'm just throwing this out here. I mm-hmm. can't imagine why I would think this, but. My guess is this became the bad part of town, where poor people lived. <laughs> go figure. No. <laughs> Nailed no. it. Build the, build the poor part of town. Make the poor people go stay in the bad area where there's no good land. No. Jeez, that never happens. Uh, so it is, you know, it isn't the, uh, the most sought after area of town. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and it would be a long time before it would be. <laughs> um, but in any case, her legacy, but eventually. her legacy stands in the shadows of the city's official, more recognized, and definitely more penis-having founders and early oh. elites. <laughs> See, that was her first mistake. She should yeah, have had a penis. Yeah. She could have just chopped one off somebody and just been like, oh, yeah, I have this penis now. Yeah, I have a penis. You can let me into the club now, right? Well, that was the alternative to picking up the name Lou Graham when she got right, off the boat yeah. from Germany was to just pick up a spare penis. But Lou Graham was easier, around. I guess. Isn't, isn't King Missile from Seattle? They have that band? song, Detachable Penis. <laughs> This comes in handy a lot of the time. I can leave it home when I think it's going to get me in trouble. Or I can rent it out when I don't need it. But now and then I go to a party, get drunk, and the next morning I can't, for the life of me, remember what I did with it. So she's not as um, as highly credited or as consistently credited with the contributions that she made to early Seattle, <clears throat> but that influence is well documented. Um, Although, you know, her life before arriving in Seattle, definitely not. But, she probably liked it that way. Right. But but you can get a great feel. And part of the reason why I was inspired to do this episode on Lou Graham was the underground tour in Seattle in the yeah. Pioneer Square area. Um, gives you a really good sense of right. her presence in that area and in Seattle in general. I That's where I say, think, yeah. Um, I think we should all make up a backstory in our heads for what Lou Graham was doing back in Germany. Mine is that she was the Kaiser's executioner. <laughs> what? That's not true, though, is it? <laughs> I don't know. It could oh, be. It could I don't be. know. That's my story. That's oh. my backstory. Make oh, up your yours. own. You can't oh, prove dude. it you wrong. Can't, you can't oh. do the Kaiser's executioner. That was mine. It's already oh. taken. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> well. Just I just imagine everybody was... think of it. We'll come up with everyone at home. Email us your ideas on what Lou Graham might have been doing as uh, Dorothea Georgine Emile Orban back in Germany. The juicier, the better, in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. So and remember, Kaiser's executioner was mine. You can't steal that. David Swinson, Doc Maynard was a postman. Justice of the Peace, lawyer, businessman, architect of the Point Elliot Treaty, city founder, planner, and erstwhile visionary. And yet not a wow. doctor. Wow. <laughs> not a doctor. <laughs> um, no, still. not Come a on. doctor. I think he well, may have, I'm hypothesizing, and I use that term loosely because it's not necessarily an educated guess, but I think it was because he was previously involved in building the early businesses and kind of landscape of Cleveland, mm. Ohio. And he had a medical school that he owned there Ooh. that went out of business. I uh. believe due to cyclical economic. I believe due to selling the 
organs of children from the orphanage. Right, right. <clears throat> Maybe he just ran out of patients because they were all so healthy. Yeah, that's <laughs> usually that's what happens in unlicensed clinics. Like, oh, oh, you know, I was Ever. worried when going in because they don't have a Ever. medical license, yeah. but I feel much better now. Everyone's just too healthy. <laughs> Got to shut it down. So Doc Maynard was. So, but did they ahead. explain the Doc thing, or is it just no? Like how um, everyone in like the 1800s was nicknamed Doc. <laughs> every other, every it was second just, dude. Like, every time you read like a Western story, there's a Doc. Yeah. There's, there's always a guy nicknamed Doc. Mm-hmm. And it's true. Only half the time are they doctors. Mm-hmm. No, that's and... why Bugs Bunny called everyone Doc. <laughs> it's, true. it's true, actually. It was in tribute to this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was partially just a slap in the face to them because he, he knew eating all the carrots that he did. He wasn't going to have to mess with those doctors. Yeah, Get exactly. out of here, I know, right? <laughs> the pinnacle of health. I love eating carrots and not going to hey, the doctor. Do you know that Bugs Bunny was actually, he, he, he propagated this stereotype that rabbits ate carrots. Rabbits don't actually eat carrots. Bugs Bunny really? was the only rabbit yeah. that ate carrots. What? And carrots don't well, even rabbits, actually. Rabbits will eat a carrot, yeah. but it's not like but it's a not their favorite food or anything. And it was because he was impersonating. I mean, rats. rabbits will literally eat yeah. anything. And right. carrots actually don't <clears throat> help. Well, they're like as healthy as any other vegetable, but... Uh, that's World War II propaganda. Was that the carrots helped with night vision, so that Nazis didn't know that, it's like that World... the Allies had invented radar? <laughs> World War II propaganda. Amazing. Japanese people yeah. are evil monsters, and carrots give you night vision. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's some of the best propaganda I think the that's world amazing. has ever created. Wow, <clears throat> that's kind of cool. I kind of there's there's a part of me that wishes that carrots did actually improve your night vision. I know because yeah. I did oh, eat yeah. them for a lot, was... thinking like that when I was younger. <laughs> I think my parents told me that. And they would probably be the last people um, to disabuse you. The reason <laughs> Bugs Bunny chewed carrots was because he was <clears throat> supposed to be George Burns. Yes. The carrot. It was supposed mm, to be like, like a, a cigar. Yeah. And the cigar wasn't acceptable to him. Well, what's interesting is like when Bugs Bunny was first created, I think cigars might have still been accepted. I guess not for children by that point. Sure. But yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I feel a lot was acceptable for children back then. It reminds anyway. me of the cartoon trope of somebody smoking a, a character smoking a cigar in one pull. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is I'm like really getting off topic, but Winston <laughs> Churchill, who's like, I know he's like a genocidal asshole, but he would put he a pin in his cigar so the ash would just stay there as he smoked it to like drive people nuts at parties. And like, <laughs> I got to give him props for that. Wow. <laughs> he may have committed many genocides, but... Winston Churchill. Yeah, miserable. Genocidal maniac, clever troll. Yeah. (laughs) So Doc Maynard, he was noted as Seattle's first merchant in around 1852. That's impressive. When after having recently arrived in town. Before that, they just traded things. It was just like, hey, I got a Bobby Orr. You got two Wayne Gretzky's. We'll trade. So it's implied here that there is there are some steps being taken towards incorporating as an actual city and bringing businesses that are operating within the city into the fold of this kind of legal structure. Um, He suggests that the currently named Duwamps area or uh, Duwamps town, I guess it would have been at that stage, uh, be renamed after Chief Seattle <laughs> as Seattle. I love that. I love that oh, he comes oh. in. He's like, what are you calling this place? Oh, we're thinking uh, Duwamps, maybe Duwamps town. He's like, oh, yeah. What about, well, I, you know what? Okay, put it to the list. I got a few other suggestions. What about, um, he looks around, he sees like a poster of Chief Seattle. He's like, what about Seattle? What about that? Yeah, okay, um, put it down on the list. We can. We don't have to decide now. I'm just saying, Seattle... 
is also a good name. Maybe we can get a couple others, you know, just keep it going. But uh, let's let's not let's not decide on anything until we've talked with everybody. <laughs> well, in, in fairness, I think Duomps was <laughs> derived from Duwamish, which uh, is an indigenous uh, people yes. that lived in the area. Uh, it was just maybe a bit, you know, it I'm rolled, sorry, it rolled off the tongue. People, I didn't mean to disparage yeah, sorry, your, your beautiful culture. I, I was just... going to make a duck swamps joke that I will not <laughs> do anymore. <laughs> <We> can, <laughs> Honestly, I would live in a town called Duck Swamps. That would actually be rad. <laughs> I would be. live in that place. Mm-hmm. So he was the one that suggested it be named after Chief Seattle instead, which ended up taking, um, ended up being the one that took the prize. Uh, Chief Seattle himself was a man that Doc Maynard had good relations with, and the suggestion that he um, be the namesake of the city was likely a diplomatic gesture, as he was also involved in negotiations between oh, there was money indigenous the peoples. Well, no, there wasn't money on that. Oh, well, there were money. Well, there, was... there was money for the colonial settlers. Yeah. <laughs> because they I mean, were stealing right. land. Um, but I mean, like, in terms of, like, they were, like, they were, like, wait, wait, let's not genocide these ones. We can make money off them. Yeah. Like, well, <laughs> this is the kind of weird, I guess, uncomfortable position that, that I mean, it's not necessarily uncomfortable well, for him, but... He, Doc Maynard was friendly to indigenous peoples uh, from all accounts. I mean, I think you've, you do find this in like, um, especially this period is like these people who are all essentially like wilderness lovers. Like a lot of these are not wilderness, like sort of like people who don't frontiersmen, want, frontiersmen, like people who Pioneers. don't want to live in like a very structured society. And they are like in a weird way, sometimes more comfortable with indigenous lifestyles and the way they lived than they are necessarily with like fucking the way Londoners would live at this point or even like New Yorkers, right? For sure, and for it's sure. sort of like, but they are also these sort of like shock troops in the first, in the, in the for colonialism, right? And like some mm, of them exactly. are fully aware of that and some of them aren't necessarily, and some of them don't even mean to be. Um, like it's, mm. I think this is more like once the city has been developed and everything, but like a good example is like even like, um, just like if you look at like people like, uh, not Gabriel Dumont because he was indigenous, but like um, just other sort of like like cowboy type characters that we see in history are like a lot of a lot of them often have no interest in actually like colonizing the area. It's just that's what gets them paid. And right. That's what keeps them in the whiskey or the girls or, or and the they're instrumentalized by their paymasters to and yes yeah, unwittingly them, yeah. achieve this and like right. and result. some of them some of them quite wittingly and some of them for are, sure like. Are, so, they have a sophisticated understanding of doing it and they mm-hmm. don't care. Like even like, and before them, there are the people that just go out there because they're like, I just want to get away from society because I don't want to be, I want to be out in the wilderness. I want to like live in a similar way to the way indigenous people were living at the time, mm-hmm. like a lot more in harmony with nature. And then they become like, but then they make the area more palatable to other white people. And then they get paid to do stuff like that. And then it. Right. Yeah. And. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to absolve them of responsibility, yeah. but I want to. It's it, it's this weird. It's yeah. a, it's a, it's a nuance that that bears exploration mm. right, and yeah. discussion. For you sure. imagine so many people on the frontiers were just looking for you know trying to make a living. However. Oh, for sure. Well, and that's the could. thing. A lot of them were. That's a big factor too. Yeah. A lot of them were caught up in like well, and then you know like they go out there and they're like oh yeah I got this place all to myself. Is you know the the indigenous tribe over the next hill. I just want my little cabin, or I just want my little town. And then all of a sudden, just people keep showing up, and there's nothing they can do. Yeah. So I mean, whatever. It's did not right, but it's an interesting tension to explore. 
Yeah, it, and it definitely is what it is retrospectively, right? Mm-hmm. Looking back on it, um, you can speculate as to whether it was all a ruse and he knew what the end result was going to be, having lived through yeah. a city being established, mm-hmm. um, you know, further to the east um, earlier in his life. He kind of knew the score, right? The way yeah. that these things work. And maybe he had good intentions. He was like, it's not going to be like this this time. Right. And I'm going to like, but he also may have just thought like, yeah, but I can get these savages to be noble. Right. right? I can get these ones to be white. And the end result is <laughs> the same in that they had to forfeit their land. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. For so, you know. Everyone's um, always the same. Right. So I think his... that's that's a that's a phrase that's going to come up a lot. It's always the same. It's depressing. Oh, so Doc Maynard, needless to say, was a bit of an outsider amongst the settlers in Seattle at that time. Um, certainly, he was an outsider amongst the indigenous communities around the area as well. However, he had some strong ideas and some experience um, growing cities from settlements. Uh, so he had some ideas as to how it should be done and what would work and what wouldn't work. He is renowned as an early settler, um, an early settler recorded as having demonstrated exceptional respect and goodwill towards local indige- uh, indigenous communities. However, his rapport and allyship with these outgroup communities amongst, um, uh, or I guess in and around where Seattle was being settled, would continue to play a role in his machinations and developments in early Seattle. Uh, This affected his standing in the eyes of his fellow settlers who were genociding the indigenous populations from... Hey, this guy's not genociding. This guy's not genociding (laughs) with the rest of us. Guys, 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 look over here. Doc's not genociding. Doc, 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 you pick up those blankets and you take them out there, all right? I don't care. I don't care who your friends are. You take them out there. It is your duty. It is your duty as a white person, all right? All right. You with us or are you against us, Doc? Look at him sulking, sulking as he goes. Come on, come on. He knew (laughs) this was coming. He knew this was coming. Good for him, just scenting. So despite him becoming um, a significant part of the development of the early city, and and this is, you know, a few decades before Lou Graham shows up on the scene, but um, despite his efforts and contributions, his, his reputation plummets during his lifetime as a result of his approach to dealing with the indigenous communities, oh, as a result of cool. his approach to cool. to developing the city, to what he thought the city needed to have in it in order to be sustained and to develop in um, in, a, in relative stability, right. um, given the conditions, which yeah. were pretty chaotic, frankly. It was very much the time of, still the time of Wild Wild West, this and that uh, lawlessness. People with feathers and bowler hats shooting each other. Right. Totally. Calamity Jane. Um, this waning reputation up to his death also impacted how the young city's history um, frames his contributions in the official historical Ooh. record. And that record places a lot more emphasis on the roles of um, people such as the Denny Party, who are Methodist. Uh, teetotaling, pretty rigid kind of... Oh, so fun people. Rule of law settlers. Exactly the kind of people... People that are totally into brothels and gambling. Right, (laughs) right, right. right. Um, And the Denny Party, incidentally, 
um, families with ancestors in the Denny party are amongst the Seattle elite today. So their legacy has continued. Wow. And their, Jeff Bezos? Their, <laughs> their, their, their wealth um, has been inherited generation after generation until up to today, and I expect would be into tomorrow. Okay. Uh, do, do we know if they still have the same family name? Or um, some of them do. So some of them don't. The, what is the Denny Party? The Denny Party is literally a group of people, some of whom have the surname Denny, some of whom okay, are thought, in-laws yeah. or right. whatever So laws. it's not like a, a full political party? No, no. Yeah, it's, no. A, it's just sort of like a group of people that yeah. get this like moniker. Exactly. And they were identified by a, f- a few of those traits, by their, um, mm-hmm. by their Methodist... Oh, like the restaurant. Bra- I was going to say, any connection to the Grand Slam breakfast restaurant? <laughs> I hope not. I love Grand Slams. <laughs> I, know. I don't want Am my I money supporting that. Tea totaling? <laughs> no, certainly not. So the um, the men at that stage that would um, soon incorporate their families into into the city as well, um, along with notables such as Henry Yesler, who was the first um, business owner to open a sawmill in Seattle, uh, together with That's almost useful, with yeah. their almost ex- exclusively male and European contemporaries are the settlers and business owners that are credited as the city's founders. Okay. Shocking. Utterly shocking. Denny party. So as I touched on earlier, um, Doc's contrasting, I guess, vision um, against the Denny party and other kind of, I guess, more uh, Puritan (laughs) stakeholders in the early city caused a lot of friction and he mm-hmm. where he differed in terms of approach were, were the exact points that the other elites in in the city at that time would hold against him and used to kind of ostracize him so his his approach to indigenous people certainly caused them to leave him out of business deals not include oh. him in planning and goings on and and things like that and then also to you know retroactively I do- it's, it's, understate his contributions. Right, yeah. Yeah. At least, at least the white supremacy was explicit. You know, right. when it's explicit, you mm-hmm. can call it out. <laughs> yeah, they weren't really trying to hide it. I mean, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. It just seems. I don't know. Yeah. Doc also had a very pro-business ethos when it came to what was required to build the foundations of the city. He, the plot of land that he ended up being able to um, own, was was the home of 90% of the businesses at Whoa. the time because he basically set incentives that he would only sell you a plot of land if you were um, if you had plans to open a business on it immediately right. and this was kind of what he saw as the recipe for economic stability mm. and for the city to be able to to thrive so yeah I mean, it was just that like, sounds like what are you going to build totally so, totally and, somewhat prudent and what um, and what kind of separated him from the Denny party and the, and the other uh, founding um, members of Seattle was that he didn't really care what kind of business it was. Mm. So mm. legal, illegal, okay. in the margins in between, just so open the business and do business. This is where he diverged from the Denny party a little bit. Exactly. And so those two main areas, his approach to business and what type of business it was and his approach to indigenous peoples and people in general, um, were where he mainly different uh, differed from the the ruling elite at the time. Yeah, he he achieved an early coup by convincing Yesler to 
to build his sawmill on a plot uh, at the corner of one of his land holdings, and that sawmill wow. was a huge staple in the in the growth of early Seattle for sure. Yeah, alongside prostitution and <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> Henry, no, it's fine. Put your sawmill here. Look, the workers are gonna love it. We got the toe sucking next door. After that is the full service parlor. Uh, and then you got three bars, uh, each one grummier than the last. It's going to be, they're going to love it. They're going to, where are you going? Hank, Hank, the papers are signed, Hank. It's done. It's done. So there's a lot of lumber being laid in Seattle. Oh, big time. <laughs> I mean, for better or worse. Yeah. <laughs> we built the city on lumber. Um, so last, last real kind of uh, vignette from, uh, from Doc Maynard that I wanted to insert here was the Battle of Seattle, which was um, a series of uprisings and attacks against the settler community around Seattle in reaction to the ongoing genocide. And Doc played a pretty crucial role for Chief Seattle, another, um, another local chief, and a number of uh, hundred, several hundred um, tribe members by evacuating them from their land, which was under attack. Right. to a safe place where they would not be killed alongside his wife who helped him which goes back to exactly what you were saying yeah so yes you know i gave them a way out an escape from this imminent attack but the result is you're still losing your land yeah. so get out of here but you can still live is the dock Maynard well, like, approach, and, as opposed to every, you know everyone else, was just point, like we're what, just going to kill you. What can he really right. do as a person? Right. I right. think is like, exactly. Clearly, he was at least like I'm not saying he was like like, but he's fighting against the tide of like clearly very organized and very sort of like like people with like a united front. Intentional. Saying, yes. We are going to fucking kill these fucking people and get rid of them. We don't want them anywhere. And he's the he's probably one of the few voices that's saying like. Let them live. I Absolutely. Can, I can get them out of your way. And like, yeah, I'm He's, not saying like he, maybe he could have done more. Maybe he couldn't have. But clearly by this point, he was just it seems like an honest because like why else? Like if he had business holdings and this is losing him business deals, there must have at least been some kind of conscience there of like, I need to protect these people because they have done right by me. For sure. For sure. And <clears throat> you do get that sense from reading about Doc. He was one of the architects of the Treaty of Point Elliot. He did become the quote-unquote Indian Affairs um, agent oh, in yeah. that region uh, later on in his life. So he continued to kind of play that pivotal role in between the two sides, right. one of which was actively genociding the other. Jesus. So make of that what you will. In any case, uh, this is, yeah, this is Doc Maynard. And so without any real information about Lou Graham's earlier years before she came to Seattle, I wanted to go a little bit into Barbarico, San Francisco. Woo, we're finally finding out about the barbers and their coasts. <laughs> yeah, so the Barbary Coast was named after the location of the same name in Africa. The North Coast, comprising uh, Morocco. So there is a Barbary Coast in Africa. I was like, Wait. so well, it's. I mean, it's probably an anachronism to refer to it that way now. Right. But yeah. the Europeans referred to it until the 19th century as such. 
and it's just and we all it's know basically that the North Europeans Shore. accurately refer to all kinds oh, of yeah, exactly. things by the correct names. <laughs> totally. So it wouldn't be the first way that I would refer to we're gonna call this, Algeria, Morocco, like, Tunisia. We're, we're, uh, what's Libya, this ghost called? Oh yeah, we Egypt. named that after uh, people who we think live shitty lives. Totally, and we're totally and superior toil. to them. And so, <laughs> like, yeah. Oh yeah, that sounds good. Let's call it that. <laughs> right. Yeah, so careful about using that <laughs> term right. particularly, but it was historically what Europeans referred to mm -hmm. uh, that region of Africa as, um, which was taken from the Berber people who are nomads that um, that travel and occupy and those Burberry. I was going to say those countries like, in Africa. Well, that's where that that is kind of where like that. I don't expensive think expensive handbags. I don't think that Berbers actually own Burberry. But <laughs> it's, Burberry, it's got, I'm Burberry. drawing connections. Berber with an with two E's versus Berber with Burberry. or Burberry with a U. But I think there's yeah a, 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 there must I don't know. Uh, Burberry fans hit us up. <laughs> or, <laughs> not. Or, or, or not. Or not. That's or not. Our, that's our target demo. Yeah, our target demo is definitely people who wear Burberry. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Right. So originally adapted from Burberry Coast after the nomadic Berber populations inhabiting the north of Africa. Um, it, so why did they, what was the, why were they just like, this was also because it was like lawless or? No, I mean, it is probably a little bit condescending. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm not really sure what the etymology or like the driving force around that is, but in the San Franciscan iteration, it was totally lawless. <laughs> right, I mean, not yeah. not totally, but it was crazy. So it, it was the Tortuga of the real world. Right there, you go. Except, there you go. well, I guess also Tortuga I mean, was the Tortuga of, of the real world. Right. It was the Tortuga of, of the <laughs> oh, Western yeah. North Americas. But yeah, that's a really good. I think that's a really good parallel. Like, it does sound. It sounds pretty tight. Yeah. So the. I think actually, um, uh, there's a comic. Chris Sabella writes it. Um, it's called something red or red something. And I'm pretty sure it's set in this time period. And it's like a revenge, a revenge. Um, red Dawn? Like, Are you thinking of Red Dawn? No. <laughs> There's a lot it's of revenge going on in it's Red Dawn. It's a comic, not a movie. <laughs> I think Red Dawn was made into a comic. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I will be angry if you're right. <laughs> Yes. Anyway, off topic. So the Barbary Coast in San Francisco was established alongside the 1849 San Francisco Gold Rush. Um, it didn't take place immediately in San Francisco. It was around the area, but San Francisco was definitely the staging area for a lot of the mining that took place and a lot of the people got <coughs> right. filthy rich as a result. Oh, wow. And so this is a big, another example of a big bubble that hyperinflated and then exploded all over everyone. <laughs> Those are my favorite kinds of bubbles. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it was um, it was a notoriously ruckus and um, and lawless red light district, famous mm. for its debauchery, until the whole scene ultimately gave way to the Great San Francisco Earthquake of 1906. Gotta make uh, way for those earthquakes. Yeah, great quotation. Clearly, that, all of the debauchery caused the earth. <laughs> it was. Yeah. It was Too God, many people fucking the ground. God smote yeah. the shit out of them. Totally. <laughs> uh, a great quote that I found from the time about San Francisco at the time from Oscar Wilde. 
goes, it's an odd thing, but anyone who disappears is said to be in San Francisco. So this is the type of place we're talking about. It's the it's the Las Vegas of the day. It's It's the lure. It's the Cayman Islands of the 1800s. Right. Mm Uh, after the quake, it was rebuilt and rebranded as an entertainment district for jazz bars and dancing clubs. It had a much better reputation, though it didn't entirely so, shake. So, like, like it was like the Disney version of of what it used to be. Basically, yeah, everything. Like, it was like safer for like like people to come and like slum it. It was much more mm. um, palatable for the average yeah. person. It you didn't right, need right, right. to be. You you could you could go depraved. and like and like have sex with a prostitute, but you didn't have to worry about like a guy like knifing you in the back for your pocket change. Oh my god, is that how people used to get busy? <laughs> oh man, yeah. and the Barbary Coast. Dude, you didn't know that was was a, a hub could... of innovation. <laughs> in that department, in being, in being of, shitty to people. They were a hub of innovation in the knife in the back department. <laughs> so, um, so uh, the hard reboot after the after the earthquake um, left San Francisco a gentrified replica of what had come before it. As you're saying, so what are you talking about? San Francisco's never been gentrified. Gentrified, no. Nah. <laughs> um, and the Barbary Coast, as it was, was left to legend, along with the relative local ubiquity of practices such as crimping and impressment crimping. which certainly thrived there like like What's hair crimp? crimping yeah. like when you get the hair yes down, like... it was oh. all the rage oh. wow. yeah. the 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 the, two, the implements they use must have weighed a ton claire's accessories been, like, yeah <laughs> one of the first businesses to open post quake was claire's uh, accessories yes <laughs> that's where they come from the barbary coast it all makes sense <laughs> i'm just picturing a sea of people with like Justin Timberlake, like, yeah. <laughs> fucking noodle, noodle hair. hair. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. My wife loves crimping her hair. So, Shout out, honey. So crimping, crimping. Uh, these are, I mean, the, the average oh, kind of it? run-of-the-mill things that you would expect from a so red light district. Is it a sex thing or a violence thing? So there's, mm-hmm. so you got your your prostitution, you got your... Prosties. Um you know, you've got your alcohol, whether prohibition is in place or not. You've got your drugs. You've got your opium dens. Check, check. Mm, People mm. can go there to check out and party or get, you know, escape whatever's going on. So it's like a separate sensory deprivation tank. Just do some opium. Spend all their mining proceeds. Uh, You can catch uh, a a live act. You can catch a show. You can listen to some music, chat, have some drinks. Like trapeze artists. You can also get robbed or mugged. Or drugged, and um, and yeah, Rob, mug, drug, tricked, drug, mugged, rug, rug, drugged, slug. drug, bugged, <laughs> tricked, <laughs> and, bugged, and drug forged, um, and forge your way. Uh, sorry, somebody trick and forge your way onto a vessel. Oh, like for a press gang. When well, yeah. So that would that well, would press be gang is more like that would be like, the navy like, version uh, of it. So crimping, uh-huh. as I understand it, is when somebody takes advantage of you and signs you up for. A voyage that you are legally not able to uh, to leave until the boat has arrived at its destination. So you go to Barbary Coast, have a nice night out. Someone starts buying your couple pull couple pulls of opium, and before you know it, you wake up on a ship halfway across the Pacific. This like thirty page document saying you won't get out until you like have rounded the the Horn of Africa like four times. Exactly. And are you like indentured at that point? Do you have to essentially you're you're legally 
obligated to stay on that ship or p- as part of that crew like until a, work, a working like, hand or whatever. Once, and um, like once you're on the boat, like where are you going to fucking go? <laughs> right, yeah. You know? And the yeah. first couple of port calls, you're they're not going to let their eyes yeah. off of you. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And then after that, they've they, just broken your spirit so thoroughly. For sure. Where that. are you going to go? Yeah. <laughs> and oh so imp- and you had like five, five diseases in your crotch by that point as well, so that helps. Oh, yeah. So you're thankful for the, you're you're thankful like, for you know the shelter. What? You know what? No one else will take me. I'm on this ship of the damned. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And impressment is basically the same, but <clears throat> but you wake up and you're enlisted in the Navy. <laughs> and you're on a naval ship. Oh, wow, yeah. So legally unable to leave yeah, that man. until you've, whatever, fulfilled your contract. I think, I think These, doesn't uh, Nick Cave have a bunch of songs about press ganging? Yeah, <clears throat> so it definitely continued Maybe after that, huh? but yeah. it was not as Nick Cave hit us up, come the podcast. I will <laughs> the, yell at sure. you about Israel. These 19th century scams are making me feel a little bit better about all the robocalls I've been getting. And <laughs> <laughs> about getting my no, bike I mean, light I mean, stolen yeah, yeah. it's like west like it's like like west takes a robocall and like a, a hypnosis swirl in the background and then as the picture just turns upside down and flips around and all of a sudden he's on his shit he's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm quite gullible so i would definitely been one of these like guys that just ended up yeah on but you're OPM also ship. really like a, a badass so like i'm sure I'm totally like, badass and yeah. i can totally hold my own yeah. so and like i'm sure you like if if you had been press ganged like two years later, you would have been like running the shit. One hundred percent. I totally see. Or maybe it, yeah. just the cook. Or maybe know. you're just the one who's doing the press game. <laughs> yeah, <after. laughs> it's like you a would be good at that multi-level marketing. Yeah. Like you, you would like what? if you, dude. You're so believable. like you're such like a genuine warm person that if you started scamming people, you would get away with so much. I'm I, just saying. I mean, that's that's fair. <laughs> you would we probably have trouble sleeping. Like, yeah. is like Can wheels we... are turning now. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. All right. You got. So we have talked a lot, but we haven't actually got to Lou Graham. I think we're getting there. We're We're, we're so close. We're getting there. We're getting there. So so close. So um, yeah. Needless to say, rounding off Barbary Coast and San Francisco in general, um, social and political tensions. It sounds like a shitty place to live, but a cool place to watch TV shows about. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Exactly. And the tensions taking place at that time around prohibition, gambling, sex work, you know, crimping and impressment. <laughs> um, and crimping does sound like a sex yeah. thing. And, it really and, does. And policing. Um, these tensions continue in future uh, decades and, you know, in the coming century or so, there would be tensions around gay rights, civil rights and women's rights struggles, uh, the anti-war movement and some dope actions by organized labor. Notably, 1946 and 2011 general strikes. Um, there was a general strike in 2011. Yeah, there was. Fuck, I don't. An even extension of of Occupy. Oh, oh yeah, that's o- why I didn't. Oakland. Hear. I almost forget about Occupy too. Yeah. Uh, in any case, that's where that's this is the milieu that that Lou Graham is arriving from to Seattle in 1888. Mm-hmm. She comes into Seattle just as Washington State is kind of uh, trying or struggling to exit what was a, an experiment in women's suffrage. Trying to exit? Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, we, it, we tried it, this it, thing and... Uh, you're just know, not voting right. Ladies, you're not doing ladies, it right. Calm down. Calm down. <laughs> calm down. Don't, don't upset your husbands. <laughs> wow. So, so um, yeah, and, and the suffrage... Uh, the women's suffrage experiment 
in Washington State was was not good for Seattle. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Seattle was pretty young, still within kind of 20 or 30 years um, old at that stage, and very male heavy in terms of its citizenry. As you would imagine, from yeah, with all these the mills, the, yeah. the mills, and the gold rush, and you know any industry that yeah, women it had to gold. offer, women wasn't like wasn't drawing in any other women besides right. those that would work at brothels, um, until the very forward-facing policy that was tried out by a number of Western states to allow women to vote as a tactic to draw the female. Just to get more demographic into their state. Come here, you can vote. You can vote. <laughs> so women did respond and came to Washington State huh. and voted, <laughs> and they and the result and of the men were like, Fuck. the result of the, <laughs> the of the policy changes that were implemented, uh, um, completely turned the economy upside down because. <laughs> Uh, well, because co- the women's vote was very tied to um, prohibition and, and the teetotaling movement. Absolutely. So it was a reformist morality kind of voting block that effectively came in and outnumbered, at least initially, the people voting otherwise. Well, and, and I'm s- sure they were organized too, which is like ab- makes a huge absolutely, difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, needless to say, that was completely chaotic for seattle's economy at the time yeah it was only eventually i'm sure sure they weren't too friendly to the women that were already in the area either right well they looked down on them too because again being mainly sex workers women were allowed to vote we mean white wealthy women oh yeah and and to make no um qualms about it it was definitely the wording of I think it was a constitutional amendment that said that you can only vote if, if you're, you're a Becky white. or a Karen. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, oh and basically, white people was yeah. was the rough wording. Um, so that let women, white women, in as far as they were concerned, which is something that the Supreme Territorial Court had to overturn a couple of different times. So maybe it wasn't that... (laughs) I'm going to raise a controversial opinion here. Just allowing white rich women to vote, not great. (laughs) Yeah. It was definitely just a tactic to get the right type of people in the right place at the time, (laughs) which had some, um, you know, some... I think unanticipated. They basically just. It's interesting because clearly this, uh, like, I see your your reasoning for talking about Doc and then the Do- the the Donner Party, the, the Denny party. the Denny Party here. Mm. Clearly, that's sort of like that. That's this this clash continuing to play out. Yeah. And then using it the 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 more up, upright stick in the ass people trying to like sway the balance in their favor. For sure, I do like the idea of them trying to just introduce like you know women's voting and stuff as a way to uh make seattle not so much of a sausage fest or... I mean, it's like, <laughs> totally totally i mean it's a pretty like, milquetoast sort of like yeah. measure today. <laughs> right exactly it's very a very liberal i think it's i'm, I'm sure our audience loves it when we talk about feminist issues <laughs> <laughs> right because we're so informed as three men <laughs> speaking from my life experience as <laughs> yeah. not a woman um in any case pro-business ends up winning out the day in terms of um being weird able, that never happens being able to get um you know the women's vote p- 
put back in its place <laughs> from, <laughs> right. from their perspective. Well, as in, like, not... Yeah, because they were cleaning up graft in public office and corruption, and they were cleaning up the streets and making it so that uh -huh. the businesses that were operating were above board. And, yeah, they were doing what Donald Trump was you know, doing. Taxes were actually going towards improving conditions for citizens of the city as opposed to lining the pockets of the elite and this did not fly this did not fly, this <laughs> so, did not fly. so the women's vote had to go yeah and it did how dare you improve things <laughs> it did um only to return again in the early 1900s uh which by at which point Lou it's Graham weird how this keeps coming was up. already i wonder there dead. must be like there must be some sort of system of like uh, analysis that can explain why this keeps happening. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like when people are able to vote, but they're not voting the right way. For some reason, their yeah. votes are then discouraged. Yeah, yeah I don't get yeah, it. Yeah, as though the process of democracy wasn't something that was kind of outright respected on its face. Right. Yeah. They should be allowed to vote, but only if they vote the, the right way. way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if we all just voted the right way, this democracy oh, thing would be Just right. vote the right way. Just vote the right way, guys. Yeah. Okay. You know what right way we're talking about <laughs> right easy the right so way. yeah the the overturning of women's suffrage is um is something that the land and business owners in seattle who are primarily white and very rich and definitely male um is is well accepted by them they they can go back to business as usual mm -hmm. lou wants to get into the fold she has some ideas. Come on in. She came Feel from the Barbary in. Coast. There was a lot of. Um, she a knows lot of how business goes there. Oh yeah. Successful yeah. brothel. Uh, a lot of successful brothels were were ran in San Francisco. She saw how it was done. I'm assuming she came from this background where she wanted to try it out herself, and she thought that Seattle was a good place to do it. She successfully pitches her grand vision of a classy brothel with clean and high-mannered workers, free alcohol service, and reasonable posted Whoa. rates. Oh, I see. So you see, oh, I'm thinking, you know, we, we take this place and you look at the squalor on the, the absolute mess and all the scams and we just make it nice, you know? We put yeah. in some curtains. We block it out. Tests. Yeah, we block out the streets and then and then we post the prices. You post the prices? Yeah, yeah, we post the prices <laughs> and then everybody know what they get for, you know, blowjob, handjob, <laughs> anal fixation, whatever you need, you know. No, it's all good. I just, I'm Chaita. just saying, we post the prices and then everybody knows. <laughs> Well, part of what was appealing about, I mean, some of that stuff is pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. But yeah, well, the, rich people free need alcohol. to get off too. They the just want to get off in secret. And the, they want to know what they're paying for. The reason why having posted rates was an innovation at that time is typically brothels were run where pricing depended on how much traffic there was in a day. So if they're really busy, uh, then you pay more and you can still visit. If they weren't busy, then Wait, it's a little bit what less. What you're describing is surge pricing. <laughs> Got it. Smart. Yep. Smart. Yeah. Yeah. Groundbreaking. Mm -hmm. So um, she approached a gentleman by the name of Jacob Firth. I believe he is. He was Jewish. Uh, he was. Oh, you had. You just had to bring that up. He was a leading <laughs> you just banker. Had to bring that up. Oh, and he's a banker oh. too. It's just a coincidence that Craig brings all this stuff up. And, and he agrees to partner with her on her initial vision of the brothel that she's going to build. Uh, part of the reason why Jacob was crucial, aside from the fact that he was a banker and a male, 
was that he was on board with what she was doing and could be her public face. So she very much, um, they very much establish a precedent of right. being partners with her as a silent partner, um, bankrolling whatever the enterprise might be, See, while yeah. Jacob kind of does the the um pretty the formal finagling. Yeah. This is like this is the thing the Nazis fail to understand. When Germans and Jews get together, they can do good stuff. We <laughs> we work well together yeah. as a team. It's... Absolutely. Case in point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um in an, yeah, they they end up partnering on a number of other ventures in coming years to uh to a rip roaring success. And something of a kindred spirit before Firth who also supported a different vision of Seattle than that of the Denny Group. Doc Maynard had himself spearheaded the opening of an early brothel in Seattle years earlier, and while he was long dead at this at that stage, he would have most certainly been in support of the enterprise, <laughs> that being a brothel. I like the idea of his ghost haunting all of these brothels, <laughs> yeah. like peeping, peeping into, like just like halfway into the rooms. <laughs> well, uh, he may not have been that keen on the whole woman-owned, woman-managed business oh, man, idea. Doc. Well, You're canceled. Or Doc's maybe, canceled. Or maybe, Doc, maybe Doc he would have been. I don't know. That is cool. But it, I wouldn't conclude that on its face. Um, there, as a result of the whole suffrage, quote-unquote, experiment, there was um, so the antipathy towards indigenous people, which had uh, crested and was just simmering out. Uh, was then directed to women, and then it's almost what? as if it's almost as if it doesn't matter who the target <laughs> so, yeah. is. They just as long as need people just need yeah. someone to like, hate. It's you know, like and it it's doesn't weird. matter. It's weird how that happens. Yeah, and I wasn't. It's almost as if that you need in order to sustain capitalism, you need a permanent underclass that For you can sure. blame everyone's troubles on. Yeah, it's like weird, right, like yes. when like when the cyclical nature of capitalist economies inevitably dips back down into recession and everyone's looking for someone to blame you need to have an other on hand that you can right. scapegoat right? it's weird i didn't why think... why did they take our jobs where are all the jobs well it must be the women well it must be the indigenous yeah, well, people we well it must be well, the chinese people the well, it must be people. must be the women now yeah. right ah, oh confusing right? oh no 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 the women are okay it's actually yeah it's those chinese people like it's all those oriental immigrants right. well i don't know okay well now you know what let's let's go back to the orientals let's go uh, let's go back to the the indigenous peoples again i think we'll be fine here yeah, yeah, capitalism I, needs I others. I'm sorry, I should not have said that. I should <laughs> not have said the O word. <laughs> I mean, yes. Oh, well, um, That was very inappropriate of me. I, I was doing a bit. Joe, you're, was too we're bad. sending you to Cansylvania. That's right. <laughs> Cansylvania. <laughs> sorry, I borrowed that term from Miles Gray <laughs> from the Daily Zeitgeist. So Please don't advertise other podcasts. <laughs> I had to because I stole from it. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> So, I would, I'm seriously would like to apologize for using that term. Um, I don't think we should cut it out because I think that would be against the spirit of it. But I, I, I should not have done that, and I feel bad about it. And I hope I didn't. I really hope I didn't hurt anyone. If I did, I apologize. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Joe. So, despite the prevailing anti-female vibe of the time, Lou is allowed to purchase the land and build her brothel definitely through the veil of silent partnership that she had established with Firth. That's smart. It's a grand estate on par with that of the city's elite, and Lou achieves success and exceptional wealth very quickly, becoming a staple of Seattle's ruling class 
um, even despite the great Seattle fire of 1889, which takes her first mansion down. Ooh, yeah. Like Phoenix That's rising sad. from the ashes. Uh, right. Along with most of the original city, which was all built on wood, half submerged in <laughs> Puget Sound anyways. <laughs> but, you know, how could that right. gone? Well, they, they figured wrong. the water would deal with <laughs> the, fire, the fire, right? Like, they were like, you know, we're building on a bunch of, like, tidal flats. The water will just come in and put the fires out. Yeah, I would have thought it really does speak to the the haphazard nature of that city in its early iterations. The Great Seattle Fire, that almost sounds like contradictory. It's like the Great Vancouver Fire. I guess you're making everything out of wood. I think it's only great when compared to the other Seattle fires. I like how they call these fires great. Yeah, that's like like... the difference. It's like it's like well, we gotta call this one great because it was the biggest. I mean, should they just call them the only one? They should call them huge or massive. I like how they're calling them great. The huge Seattle fire. They should call them like fantastic Seattle. The fantastic Seattle fire. Superb Seattle fire. Superb Seattle. (laughs) It was great. It was great. Well, it's really interesting because you know certainly (laughs) a citywide fire is an utter calamity. And yeah, a disaster. I don't know. Is it really that bad? I don't know. But I don't feel, know. Feels like it would be bad. But there are silver linings on these plumes of smoke and acrid building exhaust. Yeah. Um, <laughs> silver linings. Yes. So from this point until well into the next century, Seattle is being rebuilt from its former wooden glory with each civic tragedy, uh, be it fires, floods, it is slowly, begrudgingly becoming a less treacherous, haphazard, and entirely improvised place to live from the perspective of the average citizen, mainly as a result of the ongoing grading that these fires in particular clear the way for. Uh-huh. I mean, also it sounds like it got boring. <laughs> right. It got kind of square yes. after yes. all this shit. You don't have to... You know, once you have just to, saying. Yeah, once you no longer need to watch where you're stepping in town, yeah. like... Really... Really, you just—it's not the Wild West anymore. Yeah. Once it's safe for women and children to be wandering yeah. around town, like that's when you know you're in Squaresville. Somebody, please start a fire. <laughs> fucking SJWs in their safe spaces—they don't want to—they don't want to walk around a corner and get knifed in the spine. Yeah. Oh, that's just the price of freedom, Snowflake. <laughs> the um the influence of a more diverse uh, citizenry in in Seattle at that time has also contributing to its increased habitability i would guess um countervailing i guess the influence that business has which is still the main priority absolutely that money gotta get that skrilla and in some areas of the new city at street level uh sorry the street level is literally built on top of the old burnt out yeah and flooded gangways which is really cool if you've done the tour right yeah it's so cool to see like actually go beneath some of the old establishments and being like like how how did they just build a city on top of another existing city like have you been to europe son no i have never never (laughs) Um, it's literally like you go like it's like literally you go down down underneath cities yeah. in Europe and it's just like and here's yeah. where they buried all the people and it's literally just like a mound of, totally. of bones I imagine <laughs> like yeah like it's like this is, yeah people lived in this up until yeah. like I don't know like 30 years ago and, yeah. and we think there are still homeless people living down here they just run away whenever the tour comes through we don't know why it is <laughs> so yeah it's just perplexing to me that you can actually just build right on top of another city it's Everything's progress cool. <laughs> But you, yeah. You, how else are you gonna make money? You build the the foyer and and lobby of your building on the second floor, 
because most of the people are going to be entering the building right through that door right. <laughs> not through your basement door which is what used to be the ground yeah. floor which is yeah. kind of like wild this like abandoned like subterranean like tunnels. sex palace sex palace yeah <laughs> exactly. so as i for... mean you know teenagers they'll find they'll find they're gonna do it there's a thrill to fucking in a graveyard i'm not gonna we've all done it right we've all i mean or maybe a i'm sewer. telling on myself here but we've all done <laughs> or a suitor we've all, we've all had, fucked on we've our all had ninja turtle tomb- fantasies yeah. we've all fucked on our grandfather's tombstone Let's, don't 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 get it twisted here <laughs> um so as for lou amidst all of this i, I refuse to take back the grandfather's tombstone joke that is i do not apologize for that. N- nor should no you. need no need <laughs> don't ever apologize for being you joe <laughs> Uh, there are occasions where that should happen, but let's continue. <laughs> so Lou is not phased by the fire. She promptly rebuilds her mansion in stone. Right. Ooh, On a much bigger lot too, right? Yeah. It's noted as being one of the first businesses, if not the first business that reopens after the fire. And yeah. Smart. So get that publicity. She, she yeah, <laughs> Lou Graham means business and business is sexy. Yeah, man. Oh. Sex sells, I've heard. Not to mention Smart. Uh, yeah, of, but can she make me laugh? One of Lou's... I bet you she could. I think she could. Mm, you might be right. I feel like the... Yeah. Anyways. I wonder... I bet you her Canadian accent was better than your German accent. You're probably correct. <laughs> <laughs> but wasn't that thing she, like, prided her, like, prostitutes or escorts on being, like, very... Um, Cultured? Yeah. Yeah, so that you got could, it. So they like, hold excellent conversations with, like, these top officials and political figures. Oh, you're helping like me that. into this transition, um, buddy. Thank sick. you. Sick. So she advertises by driving around town with her employees on parade in a, in a carriage, letting everyone know what's on offer, <laughs> which, you know, Ooh. I mean, it's just good marketing, right? Yeah. And, um, and allegedly offered hospitality at her establishment for free to government officials. Ah, clever. Very clever. Yes. Yeah. This is a master stroke. Yeah, you can just no, no, come in. No, 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 no. Your money is not good here. No, no, no. Put that, put that away. Nice put that away. Window. I'm serious. I'm serious. Okay, she, she, she. This, this one will take care of you. Me, 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 me. Come, come, come. Yes, yes, yes. For free, everything for free, dear. Yes, he's, he's with, he's with the government. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah, yes. two fingers in the butt. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, That's a that's a standard. <laughs> that's the standard government package, right there. <laughs> Five-figure discount. <laughs> so employees are known as seamstresses, and as you were alluding to, Wes, um, are encouraged to pursue forms of education and refinement. Seamstresses unions, that was like a... I guess that was also actual seamstresses. Right. This was more of a glossing over of what right. they're actually doing. Right. But unionized. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, you, they should all unionize. So when Craig I don't and care I, what you're doing. Before, when Craig and I were first having a conversation about him doing this episode... When he first discovered it, I talked about um, a, a web a web comic called Templar Arizona, um, which is an alt history an alt history web comic by an amazing uh, artist and writer Spike Trotman. Uh, Spike, if you're listening to this, please come on the fucking show. I would love to have you. But um, one of the things mm-hmm. is that the the city of Templar Arizona is this weird eclectic city, and there are like there are um, a very organized unionized. Um, uh, sex workers segment and they're they're also known as seamstresses right which i think is her reference oh wow interesting that's interesting yeah yeah that's good and this is still a like there's this still goes on in arizona this thing or 
this temp template no uh, the oh. comic has been defunct oh, it's for a comic. Like a long Sorry. Time, but it's it's still up and i would recommend spike trotman runs iron circus comics which is probably the 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 coolest most unique uh indie comics prints out there right now that she does a lot of um porn comics for and i would say like not not heteronormative not like uh, gross uh hyper masculine over sexualized women porn comics but very much like for all for all sexualities and that kind of stuff sometimes just come into me that's what hers no come in no that's that's a whole other thing which is great and i think we should have those guys but (laughs) yeah i just want to say if you check out iron circus and templar arizona which is spike's web comic they're really amazing very much interested in this kind of stuff is like a city how a city is built and sort of like the 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 underbelly of it and the sort of like the the proclivities of individuals and how they come together to form a society right very cool very cool so yeah thanks that's a great recommendation or a couple of recommendations actually yeah so employees are known as seamstresses and are encouraged to to pursue forms of education and refinement largely unknown to brothel workers or really to anyone except white men at that time um Mm -hmm. which is really cool in itself Men of means and influence in Seattle are frequent patrons. As I had mentioned, if they're um, uh, members of the government, they allegedly could go for free. And once you get the Five clout, finger discount, baby. <laughs> once you get the clout in the door, you know the rest of the patrons tend to follow. Mm-hmm. And as a result, um, the status derived and exchanged when spending time in such establishments. Um, and in Lou's establishment in particular, lubricated political and commercial realities in Seattle, making it a hub of civic life, rivaling that of City Hall itself. Yeah, that's so interesting, because yeah. I don't think that that was something that's necessarily like unique to Seattle. No. Because I know, um, I've, I'm going to Japan, I've been researching searching a lot on Japan and like even like way like hundreds of years before this like the geisha districts like yeah that's well, where like, like Japan sort of like courtesan conducted. culture not just geishas there are actually like three or four other classifications of of courtesans yeah. that would service various members of the upper classes uh-huh. and not even some of them weren't even like sexual in like automatically in, like it's a it's a very interesting system of like yeah. yeah, like there were all these different, really fascinating ways that people use that to communicate and make deals and stuff right. like that. Right, and it's almost because then it's like if you're meeting at this place, then it's like you you almost both immediately have dirt on each other. Mm-hmm. So it's like you yeah. know that it's, it's like, like a, okay, it's I can a, trust it's this guy. Dis- it's like training day is, when yeah. you when like you know you make your you make when Denzel makes Ethan Hawke like take drugs on the job or something. Yeah. It's like, okay, now I know you're cool or whatever interesting. Like, type of thing. <laughs> and also interestingly enough, that was another big tweet thread that Spike Trotman did was on various other, like, uh, like, uh, relatives of the geisha in Japanese society mm-hmm. that people mis- often mistake for geishas. Like the, I think the Oran or Auran is one of them. Oh, okay. There are other classifications of, I think they're technically courtesans or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. From different periods and stuff like that, that are like really fascinating yeah. looks into that culture. Yeah. So, again, I, I don't want to like make this whole episode about Spike. But, no, but I think that's cool because yeah, they probably did do like not only like legit business, but like probably lots of like shady under the table shit oh, too. Oh, that across made the board the city go around yeah. across the board, absolutely. And the the women, while still sex workers, are regularly retained as you're just referring to in Japan for their platonic company and conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it and it was renowned as world class on the level of places like I think, New York, I Paris, think that's London. Something that a lot yeah. of people really underestimate is how much um, sex workers do do more than sex for a lot of their clients. Like that's a big part of. I think like like sex work under capitalism is being there not only like as a support system for people who are just lonely and lonely and often in positions of power where they, the loneliness is sort of like required of them right? because they can't be like really themselves or open or honest about their issues with anyone they're not basically paying. Yeah, which so, is actually completely wild if you think about it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I don't have anyone in my life that is, isn't on my Payroll. I'm literally <laughs> yeah, and there's probably I yeah. literally said I I said a slur earlier in this podcast because I've had two years and like I'm I I can't fathom the idea of not being able to just be like yourself in most company that you right right yeah yeah but it's true when you're like the the head of you know these like you know multi million hundreds of million dollars corporations it's like he you know how how many people can you trust to be honest with you yeah like, you know well no it, it completely that circle probably just keeps shrinking yeah you would not have any sense of what an actual human relationship or interaction yeah. was without the, yeah, without well, the, this is without like, the we, exchange taking place, kind of without the transaction. Before, but like when, yeah, when you have that much money, you're, you, it's hard to be a normal person for sure with that much power and money because like you just, you just can't have those normal, you don't, you don't have to worry about, impressing yeah. people like like just like observing yeah. basic social norms or anything like you can do whatever you want and people will probably let you get away with it even yeah. if you don't want them to totally right? because there's no yeah. way they can just be like yeah no because you just don't it's almost like you just don't operate on the same rule book as everyone else for sure it's not almost like that it is entirely it like is that. so like that. and i hesitate to use this word but i'm gonna do it anyways but uh, the affluenza thing oh big time <laughs> is for surely a thing yeah yeah. Like if you're just insulated by your wealth your whole life, imagine if that were somehow suddenly stripped away, you would be a social infant. Yeah. Well, and that's like that's like <laughs> a very helpless. that's a very common yeah. genre of uh, of film uh, right. of, of a story actually right. is totally. sort of like like the rich person learning to live among normal people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. You have feelings just like me. <laughs> yeah. So that's wild. Yeah. Um, so where were we? The, yeah. So uh, Lou's she, amazing super prostitutes. Yeah. So she's, <laughs> so she's treating super these employees workers. quite well from all reports. They are encouraged to get an education. Uh, they have, you know, the culture and manners of, you know, high class women from all around the world, all of the, the main international cities of the day. This makes me, it's, it's interesting because I know I joked about it before, but this makes me very interested in who Lou was before she came. Because right? like, clearly that's important enough to her that she doesn't just treat these women. Well, as, and you know, she wants these women to be a certain thing that either she never got or maybe mm -hmm. she did have and she gave up. You know? and right. Yeah. I'm not sure what Germany was like, you know, in the 1800s, but I... Germany is known for being like very open sexually. I feel so. Yeah, I don't know how much of that is more modern though. I don't want to speak. Yeah, to it. I no. know. Like, um, I mean, I mean, Germany basically from like the early eighteen hundreds to the mid 
well, even like late 20th yeah. century, like I feel like even <laughs> in the 1800s, nothing yeah. like it was just like different every fucking decade, like in right. so many ways, right? For sure. Um, it was it was kind of a cultural um, institution to be able to, you know, to talk about the interior decorating within Lou's mansion, right? As a as a male. Um, doing business or or functioning as a professional in Seattle of the day to be able to say oh yeah blah 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 and drop a name of um, you know one of the better known um, women at the establishment or be able to talk about the decor or something that indicated clout that indicated connection yeah, and you, you it was the right people oh, for wow. sure yeah. for sure so it must have been like, like a... oh so do you you do you know cynthia yeah like oh yeah cynthia oh. right yeah. well exactly. cynthia is okay but i really 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 like uh jennifer <laughs> you know Jenny. oh you haven't had jennifer yet oh Jenny. Buddy. yeah no she was busy okay, with well, the mayor when i was I'm, in there i'm doubling okay. my prices now <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So it's a very elite establishment at this point, or like. Well, it is. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. It is completely an upper class uh, institution. Right. Yeah. Um, it's still not accepted widely in mainstream society in Seattle, and w- as as we'll see, the pendulum of morality is swinging back and forth. Boo! Uh, there. It should always be in the one direction. We should be. We should all be fucking all the time. That's my opinion. Um, However, we want, as long as it doesn't harm anybody. Yeah. So the the, the city during this time is vacillating between pro and anti vice policies or an open and closed city policy. On one occasion, Lou's establishment is shut down as a result of a policy change, but reopens again very quickly probably due in part to or entirely uh, to her connections through Firth. Um, And on another occasion, during a particularly debaucherous time on the lava beds, Lou is taken into custody one night by a zealous officer, ignorant of her persona. (laughs) She's eventually acquitted. um, And as a result, the mayor (laughs) of the time (laughs) subsequently resigns over poorly managed public affairs so so there was in there plenty of times right (laughs) there was a backlash and it probably came out that he had either been a part of her stuff or taken taken part Mm -hmm. or that members of the administration probably had or or whatever it was what happened to that officer yeah man (laughs) did he end up like at the bottom of the lava beds maybe or even just like (laughs) you know yeah it sounds like this, this green cop really really put a well, I, even, I even wonder if he was actually ignorant of her persona or just maybe a bit, you know, a loose cannon. Just or, zealous. Like, or yeah. there was, you know, like an attempt. It's interesting, though. It's definitely interesting when that stuff happens. For sure. Yeah. And this was this particular incident took place in a time when the pendulum had swung back towards a more Barbary Coast kind of vibe. Mm. And it's reported that the Wild West kind of frontier vibe was kind of in rare form at that stage. Oh, okay. So it had kind of devolved into a particularly nasty <laughs> form of lawlessness, oh. uh, which may have had something to do with it. I mean, whether that's just around the chaos in general, or this person saw an opportunity to take down a, um, a, a rich and kind of well-esteemed in some right. circles. Yeah. I'm going to make uh, a name woman. for myself. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, or just was a fucking raging misogynist dick. Right. Those are pretty common. Exactly. Frighteningly so. The hater. Yeah. 
Lou becomes one of the wealthiest citizens of Seattle. You take that, haters. Yeah. <laughs> she is said to be an ongoing silent partner in various investments with Firth, as I had mentioned so earlier. She, uh, she leaned in is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, totally. And Firth, who is still a, a leading banker and is, you know, pretty fabulously wealthy himself, uh, is turning loan business that he can't quite make fit with his requirements in the formal bank that he manages. Oh, come on. Dude. Turns loan business towards Lou. Uh, and she oftentimes lends the money to the person anyways at higher interest, but with less formality. Right. To get that. So were get these, that money flowing. <laughs> I imagine these, uh, the ones that were turned away were of, uh, um, an ethnic nature. Oh, I was going to say less <laughs> professional, or like as, as, as potentially all of the above. Yeah. yeah okay. So mm -hmm. if it were too risky for the bank, for the bank's uh, board who had to approve a lot of the right, loans, yeah. if it fell outside of the parameters of things that the bank approved loans for, or right. if it was outright illegal and not right. something that anyone you wanted to publicly touch, then uh, Firth right. would redirect them to Lou, and she would decide whether or not she wanted to lend the you money. I just think they fucked. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I, I don't know. So. Uh, maybe. Yeah. I, I wonder what Lou was into. Because, uh, like, you know, like, you know, like, like people who run brothels, like, they get... They're into the... They, they, get, they get very specific yeah. tastes. They've got their own menu that's, like, the patrons <laughs> don't menu, even get. Yeah. There are some... Oh, you want, this, you want, you want Lou's special menu? I don't <laughs> think you can handle it, honey. No, no, no. Yeah. No, no. Okay, you you got the crazy eyes. I like you. You get, you get Lou's special menu come on come you wonder on. yeah well i think her time in san francisco possibly i'm speculating opened her up a little bit to things outside of the normal uh, sexual norms mm -hmm. the heteronormative uh, yes. standards yeah. right. um, which you could understand coming from san francisco making sense yeah and Lou herself. Well, you can understand from, uh, like, like, she picked the name Lou Graham, which again, yeah, maybe that's just a convenient, mm -hmm. uh, but maybe she did feel like, you know, whatever. I'm not saying like, I don't want to speculate hugely here, but like, she was a madam of a brothel. She clearly was comfortable among men. Like there, could, there, there may have been some just like, whatever there. Who knows? Yeah. But it was also alleged that she was a lesbian okay so whether or not that was the case or whether she was a committed uh homosexual or not mm -hmm. it's you know it seems as though there were complexities there right. that aren't that yeah, we're not sure. that we're not privy to which i think makes sense she's well, it, a, she's like, a full human being it's she also was like a full interesting human being. like you wonder how much she kept that under wraps yeah totally she, like like Absolutely. again like not that like records were not great at this point in history no. especially if you weren't and she's already someone that's family. like was tried to be swept under the rug and they so were so they've been repeatedly we tried to, like again like and maybe she liked it that way right, right? like that's a big part mm -hmm. of it oh for sure probably i don't, I don't think I think she probably had a really good understanding of what would be and wouldn't be beneficial to have attached, yeah, attached yeah, to her public yeah, person, yeah. for sure. But this whole idea with the loans and stuff just makes me think that there's so much more. She was that much more of an integral part of the city. And, oh, absolutely. Oh, big time. And that much more of a part of yeah. her that had no record of, you know, yeah, what totally. she was doing. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> All this stuff is, you know, more or less off the books. I mean, yeah. probably on her books somewhere, but 
that's not something that's reported in this actually i mean like i this i think i i said like this is this is a great terrible time to actually exist in but a great time to watch tv shows in and like this is actually heavily reminding me of mccabe and mrs miller Hmm. which is a fucking great um revisionist western by robert altman master master of sort of like flipping genre on its head um if you haven't seen mccabe and mrs miller i think it's It was filmed in Vancouver, and I'm pretty sure it's set in the Pacific Northwest. It is a Western that takes place entirely in winter. It's a great movie. Oh, wow. Fucking amazing movie. So, yeah. uh, When did it come out? Uh, Oh, the 60s. Oh, okay. It's it's maybe the 70s. You can get it on Blu-ray and DVD. I don't know if it's on anything streaming-wise, but... Illegal download? It's a great movie. Okay. I'll look into that. So, basically, not to get too much into it, but a shady businessman... Played by Warren Beatty, comes to um, a, a small yeah. town, which is essentially run by a brothel madam. <laughs> I think it's Julie. I don't. It's not Julie Newmar. Julie. The actress is Julie something, and I feel really bad remembering the male actor's name, but not the, act, the actress's name. It Julia might be Roberts. no. It's not Julia Roberts. <laughs> it's a really great movie. Watch it. Yeah, look into that. So. Lou is making investments in the stock market. She's Ooh, loaning she's loaning market. money out. She a girl boss. Wow. And I think I've said that about every one <laughs> of you so far. Yeah. I need she to get better. She is, this would characterify the girl boss, I think, more than any of the others. This excuse me, Lou is a woman boss. That's right. Thank you very much. Yes. So she's making some good plays on the stock market. She's got loans out that she's getting interest income and capital repayments on. She's rolling in the dough. Nice. Literally. Nice. Oh, yeah. I have this room full of money and I lie down in it and I roll around. It's great. Yeah, you should try it. Rolling into broth. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so, and she's also... You know, use, using the profits from her business and uh, and and the repayments from her other loans to lend money out to average people in Seattle, just, just families that day. need stuff. Wow. Uh, there's a lot of financial instability, right? And she is a member of the community. She does have, unlike a lot of what is recorded of so. madams of the day, a longer term perspective on her footprint in the city and kind of. She knows, I think, it's reported that she is aware of the cyclical nature of policy with regards to right. this, she knows the, the status of, of her business. Maybe the rug could be pulled out of For sure. At any moment. So she's squirreling away money here and mm-hmm. there. She's making good Smart. Smart. investments. And she's kind of spreading her tentacles in throughout the community with these loans, but also trying to fund some good economic projects to to build the community Uh, she's trying to to fund um, initiatives around education in the city right and is getting involved in different areas that you would not typically associate with the owner of a brothel yeah but she has this she has this outlook on things that it's not just this one-dimensional kind of cut and run enterprise again like as a donor to like something like education that's something again i imagine she might have wanted to do or been forced to do under the table because then there might be school boards that are like 
I, I don't know if we want your dirty money or yeah. things like that. Interesting that you bring that up. Well, yeah, that you, you don't fuck my dirty money. <laughs> Maybe right, it was different back then. I'll just spill the secrets about your superintendent. Okay, okay, okay. I can't put your name on the books. We'll, we'll take, take the money. money. We'll yeah, take the you. money. I imagine it was different thank than you, Maybe boo. everyone was willing to take money from wherever it came from. You but like today, this I know, I know you don't have to tell me, all right? Yeah. You can imagine today, like, you, your school board might have qualms taking money from you know, a strip club or something like that. From number but, five orange. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know if it was like that <laughs> this, back then. <laughs> Welcome to number five orange preschool. <laughs> I'll never eat another orange. <laughs> yeah. um, so the panic of 1893 hits. It was a big panic. It was a panic in 1893. It was dubbed the Panic of 1893. Why was everyone panicking? It was a financial uh, recession slash depression. Mm, I'm sure it was fine. I'm sure it wasn't that big a deal. (laughs) I'm sure they were exaggerating. I feel like it was uh, 500 banks closed as a result. This is across and 15,000 businesses shut down. Across the United States. Across the United States. Not, the panic not just of in Seattle. I was like, whoa, that's a lot of banks. That's a lot of banks yeah. in Seattle. <laughs> so that's, there were 50 family. banks in Seattle? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. During this time, Lou steps up. She backstops many of the city's elite families, loaning the money to bail their asses out so that they don't have to be amongst the pools. I like the idea that she's Thank like going God. into these like these like these stuffy like Methodist families that like hate her guts and just being like, yeah, you want some money? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you can have some money. It's okay. No, 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 you don't even need. No, it's fine. You know, you, I just, I'm just trying to be the Christian thing. You know, that's like the good thing, right? Yeah, so that's Same. what Jesus did. Yeah, it's Jesus. You want to talk about the Jesus? Okay, let's talk about the Jesus. Your grandma's a saint. So she's backstopping these these rich families that would very easily rather see her gone. Right. But she's doing it for the community, and yeah. she's also and backstopping Firth himself. Fuck. His bank oh, is threatened Dude. with a bank run. Luca uh, is like the fucking Dark Knight. Five, <laughs> so five hundred banks go under across America during this time, and Firth's oh, wow. bank is threatened with a bank run. And I don't know if you know how bank runs work, but it's basically a confidence thing. Yeah, basically people people start freaking out because they're worried. It's like the same thing with a stock, like a, a stock dipping. Totally. Like, it's like the problem, the danger uh, is as people soon get as it cold dips, feet. people worry and they start selling, set, which set, makes set, it continue set. to dip. You don't want to be the last people out. People are like, oh, fuck, my money is in a bank that's going under. I don't want to lose my money. I'm taking my money out. And then everybody does that. And that's actually what fucks the bank. Right. So she. I mean, again, I don't want to get too much into it, but it almost seems like this whole economy is kind of built on smoke and mirrors. It's built on the illusion Impossible. of value. Right. No. Right, 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 right. It's all very yeah. it's all, if only fundamentally had sound, about this Joe. in like a book or something. <laughs> Published around this period. <laughs> yes. Think about yeah. capital or something. Yeah, I don't know. Just don't like, know. just like, yeah. Oh, yeah. German background, too. Interesting. Yeah, Germans. Man. <laughs> so... Uh, so Lou steps in and, you know, it's maybe it's reported as having a more significant impact than it actually did, but she makes a very public 
open and deliberate deposit into Firth's bank. So she's right. fin-doming him, or reverse <laughs> fin-doming him. Everything's fine. I'll give them. Which has the this. which has the effect yeah, reportedly. Yeah, you like my big deposit in your bank, Mister Mister Firth. Yes, yes, you like it. Yes. Oh, don't be shy. <laughs> Just puts a huge wad right in that bank. Oh, I'm dumping it all over your little bank. Yeah, yeah, you like that? Yeah, 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 daddy likes. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, she's given credit for potentially reversing that run on Firth's bank, which would obviously be huge for him. Right. But they're buddies, they're longtime partners, you know, she's just doing a solid for... She's pegged him at least three times. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> it is clear that this woman is business savvy, civic minded, and takes a long term perspective like, on her. It was just a business thing, it wasn't even like... <laughs> it's a little side piece. And takes a longer term perspective on her and the city's future prospects than anyone would expect from someone in her profession. Her industry, right. despite all of this, continues to be at odds with morality reformers. Guys, come on. And the future These of the women can speak languages, right? The future of the brothel business remains highly unstable during her time in Seattle. Ultimately, she ends up moving back to San Francisco with her companion and alleged lover, but certainly business partner in the mansion itself, Amber Delmas. After a law is passed forcing her to once again close her mansion, boo. It is suspected that she intends to open up shop once again upon her return to California, but, and this is a, there's a little bit of uh, dispute about the, the way that she passed, but she reportedly succumbs to either syphilis, a drug overdose, or an, aggra an aggravated ulcer, or suicide. Suicide? In 1903. Yikes. So. I mean some of those things can overlap too it's true and so the suicide is a more i think sympathetic perspective on how she died from being hassled and harassed and harangued and pestered about her success in this unsavory quote-unquote industry this unsavory mm, field yeah. and the fact that she has overcome these odds and stigmas and um and the systemic kind of bias against exactly what she's yeah. doing caused her to be a target. And that eventually resulted in after her business was unable to continue in the city that she had obviously tried to embrace. Mm -hmm. She returned back to San Francisco with her tail between her legs, so to speak, and ultimately ended up um, taking her own life. Alternative perspectives on that are that she was a dirty woman in a dirty industry and she died of syphilis or she was a dirty woman in a dirty industry and she overdosed on drugs these aren't these aren't borne out by any facts that i could find interesting mm -hmm. okay it's it's all frankly all of it is alleged <laughs> well like again like yeah. this is like this is like the thing about like controlling your image is like especially like and and high and and really very much like keeping a lot of yourself secret is like it just once you die people project you lose control yeah it's more more so than if you just let everything hang out there for sure um because then at least it's on the record but i mean and again like not that that's not her fault that's just the she made choices in her life for yeah. reasons and now but so much of her life had to be like on the secret well, and download and well. also like i just want to say like there's also like uh i'm sure like a lot of people look at someone like this and go well how could she 
like there's a sort of idea of like how could she commit suicide after being so strong for so many right. years, which is a really shitty fallacy. And like, like I didn't mean to dump on you, but it no, is no. like that's but there. Like there are plenty of documented cases of someone who has fought their entire lives, especially I think activists um, uh, committing suicide because uh, and a lot of times they just feel like they lost their purpose when like you know like their struggle ends for good or for worse too right something that um, they've been working on and have kind of immersed themselves so fully into yeah goes sideways and yeah. suddenly they're like uh start from scratch right, right. <laughs> yeah yeah plus if she did have syphilis like that can go to your brain well that's the thing it's like maybe she maybe be a there potential isn't, cause and, of suicide and like you totally. can get you can get syphilis from sex you can get syphilis from other things too and for sure it was like and syphilis was also like just what they called they would you know, it's not like medicine was like the same super advanced or anything, especially for people who are already living on the margins of society and sort of like, I'm sure a lot of doctors wouldn't necessarily like take much time with her. So, right. Right. Like she could have been experiencing symptoms or an ulcer too. Like, you know, if it's really bad, you know, people have killed themselves over toothaches and shit. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Just in agony every day. I also don't want to say like, maybe she didn't commit suicide. We don't know, but I, I don't want, I, I just want, like, it's not, it's, we should, like, if she did commit suicide, like, her being a strong person didn't necessarily reflect on that being false. No, no, by no means. And, and again, to, to clarify the reports that it was suicide that ultimately ended her life are more from the sympathetic camp of her, uh, of people who have recorded or yeah. recorded her history or written about her. Um, it is when people are more from a, r- reporting more from a morality perspective mm, that they go with, yeah. oh yeah, well, she caught the dirty sex disease or she got, had the dirty mm. batch of drugs or used too much yeah. or whatever, whatever it is. So it's more of a smear, whether it was true or not, it is weaponized against her yeah, legacy, sure. right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's alleged that she died intestate as her will was either missing or destroyed and given the number of fires that she <laughs> lived through in Seattle, I can <laughs> understand how that might be the keep case. Keep writing the videos and they keep burning <laughs> up. I don't, it's, it's frustrating, you know? But the fact that she's worth so much doesn't make me want to rule out foul play. Well, that's the right. thing too, right? And so evidently there was a heated exchange with Amber leading up to her death that resulted in the will not being readily available anymore, Ooh, which is kind of weird. Um, I don't, I'm not going to read any more into that than I need to, maybe. Um, her substantial fortune, estimated at over over $5 million in today's money, which I think was like a half million dollars in money of the day. Right. Right. Yeah. In the early 1900s or whatever, <clears throat> was, set, um, was set to be claimed by Lou's relatives in Germany until a court order rejected the claim and redirected the funds to the Seattle school board. I imagine that was after, wait, to, well, to the school board is not bad, but yeah. I imagine that's I love this. I, it's like, it's so like, it's so like, I mean, I don't know, maybe they were more involved than we suspect, but like, it's just like, they're just like, oh yeah, that's all money. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. yeah very But close. the fact that it went to the school board. <laughs> we haven't board. visited in 20 years, but you know, should we, should we, <laughs> we talk, we send some letters. Yeah, at least like, at least it's, well, there's a record well, that it went to the school board. It makes me think that whoever was handling it, like, tried to have her interests in mind oh maybe or maybe not maybe they were it's also 1903 so yeah. it's like those fucking dirty german krauts are like fuck them, right, <laughs> right. Like, and they're just like we just want that money 
<laughs> who cares who was supposed to get it? Yeah. yeah. We have a claim. Um, yeah, yeah, someone on the court is like, oh, yeah, my cousin's on the school board. Yeah, it is convenient that it's like she she's the one that was like, you know, having whatever correspondence with her, you know, German aunt or, you know, relatives. And then it's only after she dies that it's like, oh, these aren't your relatives. These are fraudsters. <laughs> yeah, I just made Forget that. I that. made that correspondence up. Too. Yeah, like that's not in Craig's outline. So um, yeah, that's a little shady. And some of these details, especially about her legacy and what happened after her death, are disputed as well. And Bill Speedle, the the guy who is kind of the founder of the Underground Tour, I think, and a right. historian of the Seattle area and stuff, he has a certain kind of reading of events and then there are a couple of alternatives mm. and disputes here and there about some of that stuff but needless to say it is we can be somewhat confident that the seattle school board got a bunch of that money and we can also be very confident that they did not name a single school after lou yeah <laughs> despite <laughs> that contribution so um, yeah, despite her unfavorable framing by more socially conservative sources, her reputation continues to resonate through the city and the history of the area. She is credited with backstopping the fortunes of many of Seattle's most wealthy families, as I had mentioned earlier, and with contributing more to the young city's education system than all of the other prominent families combined. <laughs> combined. Hmm. Yeah. Now, <laughs> if her estate went to the school board, I can understand maybe why that would tip the scales in her favor yeah. but still these are families she lived there for just over a decade like, yeah, like maybe a decade and a half yeah and contributed more well, than yeah. all those families at that time which doesn't really reflect all that well on them so i can see why maybe there's a bit yeah, of yeah right yeah a bit of back and forth in terms of what her reputation should be especially I mean, again, if like, you have a vested interest even in... even like there's sort of like these things in in that historians talk about about when facts are more acceptable and sort of like you're like well this is more likely to be true and one of them is actually um the criterion of embarrassment is that if a fact when reported or even going through history would have been embarrassing if it is sort of accepted as a general fact it's more likely to be true mm -hmm. but even then you have to consider like yeah like how after she died how many people wanted to make sure that their name was not connected with hers right and deliberately erase that history Right? Oh, for stuff sure. like that yeah. um stuff like that like so it's just like i think like we really do need to like i think we've kind of touched on it but it's really important to note like even the best documented history is like enormously biased and who according to who documented it uh cultural attitudes at the time sort of even just like whether or not people in the that society viewed history as actually important or whether it was more important to make a myth or something like that for sure um, and it is almost always more important to make a myth that favors whoever is documenting history so right. the question you know i think like it's i think it's really cool that we do this podcast and we're trying our best but like we're just kind of like looking at what what's out there and we can only surmise so much and I think there's a there's a there's a, a tension there of like, well, the further we go off base and the more we speculate, the more likely we, we are to sort of like completely distort it ourselves without even intending to. And For I think sure. Like, yeah, I think about that a lot. Yeah, and actually. we don't. And I think the, the fact that you think about it is good, but like, 
we can only talk about what was what is reported to us about Lou. We weren't there. Mm-hmm. And like obviously a lot of this stuff there's no reason to just like suppose it's all false or mostly false. Right. right. But we have to do take it everything with a grain of salt here. Like even the stuff that's positive, like maybe the whole education of her like her employees and everything is a bit overblown. Like maybe that wasn't as true or maybe it was like not her that was spearheading it. We don't know. I don't want to, I, again, I don't want to rip or, everything to shreds. Or she had very cold, calculated yeah, business exactly. reasons for approaching it that way. It was part of the brand that she wanted to establish. You know, you could frame it as her being a cold and calculating businesswoman and, who saw a model in San Francisco and saw how she could sharpen it up and get filthy, yeah, filthy exactly. rich in a new market, cornering that kind of niche and... And that, you know, that, and, also, and she didn't have any sympathy or didn't give a rat's ass about any of these women, but was like, and you know, the males that come to patronize the establishment are going to really appreciate all the fancy talk. And that doesn't also that doesn't also erase the benefit that it had to those women either, right? Right. The material no. Benefit. Exactly. So, absolutely. And I think one more thing I want to say, not to interject on, on no, your no, point no, about I, the reflection of history. <laughs> But I think another thing that is disputed in this whole story or is speculated upon is the inclusion of um, of queer and transgender individuals in well, even, yeah. the brothel, in, in Lou's operation, but also just in general um, from, you know, from different sources, there are different perspectives on this. There is a photo that you can find very easily when researching Lou Graham and her establishment that appears to show (laughs) males quite obviously dressed as women, whether or not they were transitioning in the, in the manner of the day, or they were dressed in drag or another take on it that I've heard as well is that when, when, well, when, when financial conditions worsened and there was, there wasn't gold to mine and there wasn't wood to mill, then some males were like, these, Mm -hmm. um, these brothel workers are making a killing. Yeah. Like me want in. Right. And they would dress up and go, or, you know, who knows? I don't know if that's. Yeah. And there's like, that's the thing is like, even that's the thing about like the complication of sort of the official the line the official line on gender that has been for the past you know 200 or so years versus like the reasons people the reasons people decide to break gender norms are like hugely multifaceted oh for sure very complex um but and 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 really difficult to pull apart and understand especially retroactively yeah Mm. especially even just like you know 50 years ago is hard enough for us to understand with yeah. everything that was going on, and much less, you know, 100 or 150 years ago. So, But it does appear on the surface that Lou was into it. Interesting. So that's kind of cool. I mean, I would assume that if she weren't, that she wouldn't have let it fly, right? right? So you have or to the, think if so there's... So at the very least, there was a market for something sure. along those lines. Absolutely. Whether, yeah. Whatever so, the configuration was. Or, yeah. Exactly. Uh, she was more open to it than well, perhaps other Well, we also sort madams. of think, we also have this tendency to look at the past as like, well, they didn't understand. But like, there were, there were periods in history, 
and in various cultures where they were actually more accepting of transgender and and gender nonconforming individuals than we are today right. in general yeah. um and even like and and the other thing too is like gender norms change over time like in the in the 1700s men wore high heels it was a it was a military thing right like high heels didn't become a, a feminine thing until much later so we also have to think about that and be like well you know maybe mm. that like I don't know enough. I'd have to research it more. But there's tons of reasons why people don't seem to conform to the gender standards that we know or even think were in the past. Right. Because our information is, again, limited to the people who wrote the histories. Well, and also yeah. the filters from our conditioning yes, and our perspectives absolutely. over top of those filters and whatever caused the reporting to come out the way that it did of what was going on at the time. Yeah. So many different layers of yeah, we didn't obfuscation even... and abstraction. And it's sometimes pretty difficult. To I mean, that's the thing. Part. We kind of, we, we really took a sort of like, here's how the city of Seattle was built by Lou Graham in a way. But there is a whole, there's four or six, five or six other dimensions to her of like, as like uh, an immigrant, as like, yeah, a woman, at, at the very least a woman with, who questioned hetero, like who went against heterosexual norms, who, you know, and employed gender nonconforming employees, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Who went who, against the class uh, currents of the day. Like there's who, there's so many other avenues to explore yeah. with mm -hmm. this woman that I think like we may not in, even be entirely comfortable with exploring for various reasons. And like, yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting things about Lou Graham that I hope people continue to explore. Yeah. Absolutely. And we hope you really enjoyed this episode because I think this was this was a really great, sure fascinating person. And thank you, Craig, for bringing yeah. us to the table. Well, it's my yeah, pleasure. Knocking these ones out. Thanks for taking the journey characters. with me. It was a really interesting one. Um, and I love that it kind of had a jumping off point from, you know, a trip to Seattle, whatever. Yeah. Last, last year at some point when I went with my fiance on the underground tour thing and then yeah. It just kind of sprouted up as an idea that would be a great second banana. Well, yeah, because I rung yeah. a bell like when I because I did the same underground tour like two or three years ago, and uh, it didn't. I didn't ring a bell until you started talking about it, like as you wanted to do this for a subject. Because like, oh yeah, I did hear about that on this tour. Sweet. And so it's good to know that like people are kind of you know telling our story as a more like integral character in the formation yeah. of Seattle. I think it'd be really great if. Uh, you know, a school was named after her or something. Yeah. If, right. If someone had the balls to do that, I think that'd be excellent. <laughs> we were sex workers in Seattle unionized and called it the Lou, Lou's local wow. blah, blah, blah. Or that yeah. something. Whatever. I don't know. Or even the seamstresses. Totally. You know? They, yeah. they should all unionize. So, do it. Yeah, It'll do it. Cool. <laughs> Unions are cool. For sure. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks again for listening to Second Bananas. Um, thanks. If you'd like to uh, let us know what you thought of this episode, uh, some other give us some other perspectives maybe you know a little more about Lou than we do maybe whatever or you just know more about Seattle and brothels or sex work or anything like that we'd especially love to hear from that perspective mm -hmm. uh, email us secondbananaspod at gmail.com or you can hit us up uh, at two bananas pod on Twitter and Instagram yeah um, and yeah so uh, once again I'm Craig you're not going to be able to find me. <laughs> I can't find you. Uh, it's a secret. 
Yeah, we'll be able to find you one Second time. banana's best kept secret. I like it. I think we should have like a new place where people can find you every week. Yeah. <laughs> You're always shifting. That'll be season two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm Wes. You can find me uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Wes Walcott. And I'm Joe, and you can find me at Stop Joe Now on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time when our subject will be... Art Garfunkel. Art Garfunkel. This is, this this is going to be a be flagship episode for us. Tenth episode, so we're going to celebrate it with some interesting variations on how we normally do this. So stay tuned for that. And uh, we want to thank again all the Revolver listeners, all the patrons who support yeah, uh, thanks the so Cape much. Goblin Network. Uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah, so in the meantime, thank you for listening, and we will see you next time on Second Bananas. Thank you. Thank you. Peace out, guys. Bye-bye. Everyone is Jonas is a live-streamed, competitive role-playing podcast hosted by me, Doug Vandalay. Me, Eric Ivanovich. And me, Talia Murdoch. On twitch.tv forward slash cavegoblins every Monday at 7.30pm PST. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.